0: Thank you, Steph. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday, y'all. This crew who's here today, you're the group that woke up and chose adventure. I like it. I like it. These are my people right in this place. And you two online, if the snow kept you away, we understand. Or wherever you're joining us from, welcome this morning. My name is Jordan, I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the opportunity uh, to conclude our series in 1 Peter this morning, as we read from 1 Peter chapter 5, but before we do that, let us start things in prayer. God, our Father, as we approach your Word this morning, may you, by the power of your Spirit, illuminate the eyes of our hearts so that we may see you clearly in the name of Jesus Christ your son our savior we pray amen all right adventure crew today is the last day of first peter we kicked off first peter post summer kind of in the fall and we began to journey through this book and we hit the last section of verses today if you remember all the way back to when we kicked off the, ber- the, the book of 1 Peter, you'd remember some key contextual clues that we went over that help us understand what's going on in this book, who Peter is speaking to, what's going on in the world at this time. Peter is writing from Rome, and he's writing to early, young Christian communities, which would have been a good mix of Jewish converts and pagan converts to Christianity, and he's writing them, and he's, he's passing along a cyclical letter that's hitting a whole bunch of these churches in Asia Minor. And so, in 1 Peter, uh, in 1 Peter it's a letter written to these churches, but it's surely a letter written for us. It's God's Word through Peter for you today in 21st century Canada. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we talked about the living hope that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. The living hope that is ours. And and then we talked about the holiness that allegiance to Jesus demands of us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we discuss how God has chosen to have relationship with us, that He, he came down to our level. And then we also talked about uh, how, how God's love for humanity perseveres regardless of our constant rejection of Him. We also talked about what godly submission to earthly rulers looks like. In 1 Peter chapter 3, we discuss the relationship between husbands and wives and how as a follower of Jesus, you will suffer for doing good. In 1 Peter chapter 4, we really built out a theology of suffering, this understanding that the purpose of life is not to escape suffering or to get through it unscathed, but rather the purpose of life is that we endure through our sufferings and cleave to the one who has suffered before us and who calls us to him, Jesus Christ. We talked about that we we, we actually shouldn't be surprised when suffering comes our way and that we should praise God in the midst of our troubles. And then in 1 Peter chapter 5, we talked about this idea of, of church eldership. And how, members of, how as members of one body, we have a responsibility to mutually submit to one another in love. Last week, Pastor Jerry talked about being humble. And it brings us today to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 to 14. Let's read it together. Be alert and of sober mind. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She, who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. And so does my son, Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. As we come to the last concluding section of 1 Peter this morning, we we see a series of exhortations, kind of a last number of points that Peter just rattles off really quick as he closes out the letter. We, we've picked up this passage. Verse 8 really is right in the middle of, of Peter's discourse on, on humility and mutual submission in the context of the church. Everything that we talked about last week. Th- this kind of just flows for Peter straight through. He talks about humility and then begins to start, start talking about the devil and then praises Christ. You know, Peter goes from humble yourselves and cast all your anxiety on God for he cares to you to how Christians should react to their enemy, the devil. He says, be alert, be self-controlled, be of a sober mind, be dialed in. Because your enemy, the devil, is out looking to consume you. He's looking to devour you like a lion devours its prey. And it should strike us as interesting That Peter waits until the last part of his letter to bring up the devil as it relates to Christian suffering. He recognizes, yes, that that the, the, the devil is present in the suffering of a Christian, but it's not the first thing that he talks about. It's actually the last thing that he talks about, and even so, his treatment of the devil is very, very brief. Be alert, be of sober mind, The devil's not out to make friends. He wants to eat you. So, Christian thinking about the devil, about Satan, uh, largely swings between two poles. The first pole, uh, perhaps a minority position, but undeniably there, is this this group that would look for the devil under every rock. It it is this uh, uh, group, I'd say, usually of Christians that's fascinated with the power of the devil. They're looking to cast demons out of everything. These Christians, they're well attuned to the reality of evil, but I actually think that they they end up giving the devil more credit than he's due because their obsession on evil and on conquering the powers of evil becomes an idol in place of their worship of Jesus Christ. It becomes their number one priority. And on the far opposite end of the spectrum are those who reject the idea of the devil as Christian myth or lore. Uh, This is the dominant thinking in our Western secular society, and so most of us actually just pick up this perspective by osmosis. You know, it's an idea that refuses to acknowledge the spiritual reality of evil. Surely evil exists, but it denies the spiritual reality of evil. And it's quite interesting to me that many in the West are open to spiritual experiences, specifically spiritual experiences of healing, of wholeness, of restoration, of completeness, but strangely naive to the powers of darkness, of spiritual despair, of brokenness. We're open to spiritual experiences that promise peace, and tranquility, and prosperity, but anything negative, we have a tendency to shy away from, to ignore, or to pathologize. We take spiritual darkness, and the best that we can do is call it a psychological problem and medicate it into passivity. We're really uncomfortable with the idea of talking about evil, spiritual forces of evil. I'm not denying the reality of psychological problems by any means, but I am saying that in our Western secular society, there is a glaring disparity between how we approach spirituality. We are open to the good, but we are hardly willing to entertain the reality of the evil. And and this idea that the only spiritual experiences that we should be having or could have are good ones is in fact growing in popularity Today, we talk about spiritual mindfulness and manifestation as paths to a more complete self. If you've never heard that, just keep scrolling Instagram or TikTok long enough and you'll find somebody preaching that message. And and, and in the self-help and in the soul care world, there is a conspiracy of silence, if you will, around the powers of evil that are present in our society, And it's at this point that I think it's worth taking a bit of an aside that that points to this issue in our society, but also in our church. Like I said, we've really accepted this idea because it's the dominant thinking in Western society. We swim in these waters, we breathe this air, and these ideas begin to implant themselves until we think that they're truth. In our society, we love the idea of being spiritual. There's actually some sort of clout that comes with this idea of being spiritual. But no one likes to define their spirituality. And I got to thinking, why is this? It's because the ambiguity of being spiritual is actually self-serving. We can be spiritual, but not actually have to believe in anything. You know, we can be spiritual, but not have to submit to any spiritual authority. You know, we can be uh, spiritual and the only guiding light in our life can be our own self-desire, what I want for my life. We can be spiritual but not have to submit to a spiritual community. I think this applies to, to New Age spiritualists, surely, but it applies to many of us Christians, too. When I was doing my undergrad, Uh, It's pretty popular to to reject the title Christian among, you know, the crew that I was uh, kind of in school with who were followers of Christ. Uh, We rejected the the, the title Christian, and we called ourselves Jesus followers instead. And and there was this distance that we tried to, to put between us, ourselves, and the term Christian. Because we looked at the church's past historical abuses, we saw the church's present injustices, We looked at the overall messiness of Christians, and we didn't want any part of it. But, I mean, to call ourselves Jesus followers and not Christians was Subway calling its minimum wage employees sandwich artists. It's like, who are you fooling, right? Modern spirituality lacks integrity while proclaiming to be the most integrous. You know, I follow the teachings of Jesus, That is me. I'm not a Christian. I'm a Jesus follower. I follow the teachings of Jesus, except for the whole, you know, build my church, great commission, and die to self stuff, but I follow the teachings of Jesus. This this sense of spirituality, it, it lacks substance, but it proclaims fulfillment. It lacks meaningful transformation away from selfishness. It truly means everything and nothing at the same time. To follow Christ, to be a Christian, doesn't allow such relativism. The Christian tradition, no matter how diverse its expression over the last 2,000 years, churches in the East and in the West and in the North and the South, they are unified in foundational truths which lead to complete life transformation at the hands of Jesus Christ. And the history, oh, I love history, the history of the Christian spiritual tradition is a deep treasure trove to be mined. And I would much rather point you towards, you know, the monastics of the 5th and 6th century than to another pseudo-Christian Buddhist podcaster. We, we, we need to recapture this understanding of spirituality as not just this good thing that I, you know, makes me feel good and I self-actualize, but actually a battle between good and evil, a battle that has been won by Jesus Christ. Here, here's my point in this monologue. You're wired to worship something. You are wired to worship something. And if you are not aware of it, our culture, the water you swim in, the air that you breathe will rewire you to worship yourself. And it will do it under the guise of self-actualization, of true fulfillment, and the most scary, it will do it under the guise of righteousness. And if you are a Christian, it takes the daily carrying of your cross... It takes mutual submission to one another. It takes the cultivation of relationship with believers and with Christ for you to fight against the powers of darkness, the powers of darkness that Peter is acutely aware of. It is literally the role and the function of the church. You know, pastors are shepherds. They keep the sheep from being eaten by the lions and by the wolves. This is what the community is supposed to be, a protecting environment that keeps you safe from the powers of evil and that follows Christ's mission and carries out Christ's commission to his church to actually establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And his kingdom has already defeated the powers of evil. This is who we are as Christians, and we need to get back to this. We need to reject the spirituality of our age, and we need to recognize that good exists in Christ and that evil exists, period. So let's get back to the devil. Uh, The scriptures speak with certainty that there is an enemy, that there is a devil, that there is Satan, the father of lies, the evil one. Many names he shows up. He's an accuser. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. He's the one in command of the forces of darkness which plague our world. He appears in the Garden of Eden as he tempts Adam and Eve. He, he appears in the Gospels as he tempts Jesus in the desert. And he appears in the book of Revelation as he's defeated and cast into the lake of fire. Now when we begin to talk about the devil, we probably conjure up these medieval images of, of man with a pitchfork and a little pointy tail. But, but we, we kind of need to, to tear apart these images of the devil, and there's actually a lot of theological work that we, we need to em- embark on to understand Satan and how he plays into the story of the Scriptures. But what is sure, without having to do all that work here and now, is that Peter knows the devil doesn't have your best interests at heart. What is sure is that Peter communicates to us But the devil wants to destroy you, to devour you, to annihilate you. And so I I bring back up this question, why does Peter wait until the end of 1 Peter to bring up the idea that the devil is present in your persecution and in your sufferings? When we look to the letter, and actually the next verse in the letter, it becomes quite clear. Peter gives this tiny verse about Satan, you know, uh, being present in the suffering of believers. And then he says, And the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To Him be the power forever and ever. Amen. For Peter... Suffering is a part of life. It's the reality of, the, or, or the reality of sin, the reality of evil, guarantees your suffering. The reality of injustice, of hatred, of violence, and of pain guarantees your suffering in this life. And to be a Christian is not to escape these things, but to maintain rightly oriented worship towards our Creator in the midst of them. And the devil is present in the persecution and in the suffering of believers. But our focus is not so much on defeating the devil, but on cleaving to the one who has already defeated him. Faithful Christians do not need to worry that everything is a spiritual attack, and nor should they treat Satan as a non-factor in their lives. Rather, they must be aware of the evil one. They they must be of sober mind, keenly aware, yet having their hearts fixed and their minds fixed on the saving, transformative, and holy good nature of Christ. Peter's saying, be aware of evil. It's important for you to know. But, But really, it's in your worship of Jesus Christ that you will find healing. It's in your worship of Jesus Christ that you will be made strong. It's in your worship of Jesus Christ that you are made complete. It's in your faithful Christian practice as you follow in the ways of Jesus that you will begin to move in mercy and in goodness and in wholeness. And in doing that, you take up arms against evil. Because you're working to alleviate the suffering of your brothers and sisters. You are a flag bearer then, pointing to the reality of God's kingdom. A victorious kingdom. Be alert. Pay attention. The way that we win battles against evil is not by our own might. It's surely not by our own willpower, but it's by adherence to our commitment to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And I think this, kind of dialing it back to our conversation about the ambiguity of spirituality and how that serves selfish purposes, this is the the good news of certainty in Christ that this is the good news is that being a Christian gives you a place to stand being a Christian gives you a place to stand knowing Christ and his sufferings allow us to make sense of our sufferings knowing Christ and his victory allows us to fearlessly take those arms up against evil. Knowing Christ and His resurrection gives us an eternal hope of life together with our Creator in perfect love. Knowing Christ and His mission gives you purpose, the likes of which no modern spirituality can promise you. Life with Jesus is different. We continue on in verse 12. Peter says, With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. And so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all who are in Christ. Peter concludes the book by signing off. He signs off. All right, see you later. Silas here is probably Peter's runner. Peter would have written the letter, and he would have handed it to Silas, and Silas would have been tasked with carrying it to these church communities throughout Asia Minor. Silas would show up, gather everyone together, read the letter. Everyone ask questions. They direct him to Silas. This is Silas's role in 1 Peter. Um, Peter, though, adds this little line. He says, this, this is a true testimony. This is it. I'm not lying to you here. Everything I've said, either you've experienced it or you will experience it. And he encourages his readers to remain resolute in it. Stand fast in it, he says. And this is my encouragement to you as we end the book of 1 Peter. Stand fast in it stand fast in it, adhere to it. This is the Word of God for you. And Peter remarks this interesting line, uh, she who is in Babylon, which is the equivalent of saying the church, she, the church, in Rome. Babylon has become this archetype of, of a corrupt empire. You really want to yeah, sign your next letter to your MP with love from Babylon, okay? You'll get the point. Here, here, Peter is saying, I am under a corrupt empire, but I am a Christian waiting for my deliverance. What's he doing? He's hearkening back to the Old Testament again. The Jews in these communities are, are completely understanding what he's doing. As Israel was carried away into ba- Babylonian captivity... Think back to the summer. Think back to when we worked through all the minor prophets. As the people of Israel were carried away, what did their hearts desire? To go back to Jerusalem, to worship in the temple. And Peter's drawing this connection, and he's saying, You are Christians, held off in an empire that is not your own, awaiting for the return of Jesus Christ. You're waiting for Jesus Christ to come establish His rule. This is who we are. We live in this world as citizens of this world, with responsibilities in this world, but we are also citizens of a different kingdom, and our our job is to bring the culture of that kingdom, God's kingdom, here to earth. He says, kiss each other, an ancient greeting. It's cool, we can leave it there. And then he concludes with a blessing to all who are in Christ. Peace to you who are in Christ. And this concludes, First Peter, when I think back on it, on this book as a whole, all five chapters that we've broken into itty bitty bits to talk about. I ask, what did we learn? What did we learn? We spent five chapters, numerous weeks, months, in First Peter. It's like one, two, three, it's not even four pages. What has the Spirit of God shown us? Let me break it down into three brief points. The first is that your faithfulness to Jesus Christ will bring about suffering. We saw it in ancient Rome, and we've seen it in every society since, that faithfulness to Jesus will be met with resistance and persecution of some sort. I was, um, I was reading a book yesterday, and one of the footnotes of, of the book hearkened back to uh, the execution of, I believe it was 20 Egyptians and one Ghanaian, I think, at the hands of ISIS fighters in Egypt or in Libya. I mean, those men were, were killed for their faith. And in this life, you may not have to be killed for your faith, but 1 Peter guarantees in one version or another that you will meet resistance or persecution because of your allegiance to Jesus Christ. You can go back and watch Pastor Jerry's teaching on this if you really want to dive in in depth. But when suffering comes your way, will you be able to endure it as participation in the sufferings of Christ? If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. As you suffer for doing good, you're called in this book to not repay evil for evil, to not repay insult for insult but to repay with blessing. You are called not to live in fear, not to be frightened, but to set your heart on Christ. You are called to respond to your opponents with gentleness and with respect, to remember that the Jesus Christ who died for you also died for your tormentor. First Peter makes it clear that your faithfulness to Jesus Christ will not be easy. Number two, Christian love must be the foundation of the church. We sang that song earlier, to be the church that you would desire. This really needs to be our prayer. Uh, thinking back to, to undergraduate Jordan wanting to distance himself from Christians and, and, and from the church because of its historic abuses and present injustices, if we are active in the life of the church, we have a responsibility to labor together, mutually submitted to one another in love, to be the church that God desires. Christian love must be our foundation. To, to submit to one another in humility. This goes back to what Pastor Jerry talked about last week. To submit to one another in humility. It is for me and you to disagree. For us to be completely at odds with one another. But for us to stay, for us to remain, for us to work through it, I mean, it's like, Pastor Jerry has the inside voice. Mine's going right now. Uh, it's, I, I recognize some of you have left churches to come to Soul Sanctuary. Fully recognize that. But, but what stronger, and there's plenty of reasons to leave a church. There's more reasons to stay, but there are justifiable reasons to leave a church. I don't know your story. I'm not speaking to you here. But consider this, what stronger testament, what stronger testament to the love of Jesus Christ is there than someone who remains steadfast to where God's called them? Someone who, who, who doesn't leave a, a church and burn bridges on the way out faithfulness, long-suffering. These are Christian virtues. I'm not not kicking you out if you're, like, new to soul and you came from another church, okay? But, But maybe my challenge to you is this. Your brothers and sisters in Christ at your previous church, here's my challenge for you. Are those relationships reconciled? Are those relationships reconciled? You know, you left for one reason or another. As far as it depends on you, the Scripture teaches us, live at peace with one another. As far as it depends on you, seek reconciliation. Because the church has to be cemented with Christian love. The the idea of mutually submitting to one another in humility is the most countercultural thing that you could do today in a society so polarized. And I'll say this, I've seen it here. I've seen it here. You didn't have to register for church this morning, eh? It's looking at kind of cool. Some of you panicked because you were, like, late, and so you always register on Sunday morning, and you were like, oh, there's no registration. <laughs> this church closed. You didn't have to register for church this morning. Th- there, are, there are some of you who are, are radically upset that we checked vaccination cards for the gathering for a couple months. We've read your emails. But you've chosen to remain. You've chosen to remain. That's... that's this is the foundation of the church. It has to be love. It has to supersede our political allegiances. There are some of you who in here who vote to the right of the political spectrum. Plenty of you in the middle... Some of you on the left. We have to begin as the church to to not allow those things to separate us. This is a hard message. This is not in the notes. (laughs) But maybe this is just me explaining. Mutual submission to one another means we will not always get along. That the person in your life group who annoys you, and not just annoys you, but that you actually kind of find repulsive. For you to remain in relationship allowing the grace of God to work through them to transform you, and the grace of God to work through you to transform them as we draw closer to Christ in order to see His face clearly. When I say love must be the foundation of the church, we must love one another deeply. We must forgive one another when we wrong each other. We must offer hospitality. Actually, go back to forgiveness for one quick second. Uh, To forgive one another when we wrong each other means to confront some of the darkest parts of our existence. When I wound you. When you wound me. To acknowledge it. To lean into it. Man, if you want church light, you're not going to find it here. What you will find is a bunch of broken people doing their very, very best to follow Jesus. Believing that the pursuit of Christ is more important than anything else that this world has to offer us. Okay, we must offer hospitality and eat together we we must invite one another into our homes out to the restaurant. This is this is from first Peter. Build relationship with one another this way. We must serve one another. We must serve one another. We we put the gifts that God has given us to use. If you want to or if you want to figure out what those gifts are, join us for Growth Track starting next Sunday. Go to where you tried to register for church this morning and click the one that says Growth Track instead. We must serve one another. And as we serve one another, we put our preferences to the side. We put our desires on the afterburner, and we care for the other. You know, I I said it a number of times here, the Christian church is to be a forerunner of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We bring, the church brings the culture of heaven that we know, that we've experienced through the liberation of of Jesus Christ. He has liberated us from the powers of evil and from the powers of sin. We have to take this responsibility seriously. Because if the church ain't going to do it, then who is? It's our mission, man. We're to be a foretaste of God's kingdom. You know when you have friends over, and it's this like beautiful moment, of interaction with one another, and maybe you like board games, so you play some board games, that really fills you up. And, and, and you eat, and you drink, and at the end of the night, they help with dishes because they're those kind of friends, right? And then they leave, and you go to bed, and your heart is full. You know that feeling? I think that's just a snippet of what we're to be as Christians, that that, that, that feeling is, is perhaps the closest that we get to God's kingdom here on earth, as in, as in heaven, it is the coming to—whatever, um, I'm, I'm rambling, let's go. <laughs> the church, to be cemented in love, right, is to have a radically di- different ethic than the rest of the world. That what drives our, our motivation, and dri- drives our action is radically different than everyone else in our interactions with one another, in our conflict, in our church dynamics, we must be guided by the love of Christ. Finally, the third thing that we learned in this series is that our lives as individuals are to be built around the hope that is ours in Christ Jesus. For these early churches, indeed for millions of Christians throughout history and around the world today, death is not a distant thought but a present reality. And we are well served on reflecting on the reality of death every now and again. Why? Because it sobers us up to the fleeting reality of life. Uh, two, two Sundays ago now, my, my, uh, whew, my gramps passed after a, a brief battle with COVID. And uh, I had the opportunity to do his funeral um, last Saturday here. And it's in these moments of loss that that we're forced to reckon with death. And it's in every other moment that we just pretend it doesn't exist. If you lost someone, you know this is true. All of a sudden you get like our interns were like, whoa, Jordan, like this dude's just talking about death every day this week. And and we we frame death around this idea of legacy, don't we? Uh, How will you be remembered when you die? It's, it's about half of what our conversation of death should be. How will you be remembered when you die? I mean, you don't remember three generations back in your family most of you. You don't remember their names. Except for the weirdo with the, the super big family tree. It, it's, it's not so much how I will be remembered when I die, it is what impact do I make in this life that outlives me. What's the impact that I have in this life that outlives me? I, I looked at my grandfather. And I don't know how many years until his name kind of fades off into history. But I looked at a man who was a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. Who in a care home, just like, he, he, he would record prayers on little microphone like voice recorders and give them to his nurses so that they could take home, so that he could pray for his nurses even when they were off. He was a man who who, who proclaimed the goodness of Jesus Christ and the hope that was his in death. I mean, yeah, it's good to be remembered by man. But faithfulness to Jesus Christ that you be welcomed into his kingdom with a well-done, my good and faithful servant. Our lives must be built around the hope that is ours in Christ Jesus. In a world of competing identities, which tells you to first identify yourself on your success, your vocation, your family, your sexuality, your primary identifier before any of those things, Is a child of god your primary identity is not who you are what you've accomplished what you've done your primary identity is in what christ has done for you first peter makes it clear praise be to the god and father of our lord jesus christ in his great mercy poured out for you and for me he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Your faithfulness to Jesus Christ will bring about suffering. Christian love must be the foundation of the church, and our lives are to be built around the hope that is ours in Christ Jesus. Peter's message To you and to me today is that we must remain faithful to Christ, living obediently to Him in community with one another, and that your faithfulness to the gospel will help our world, our Babylon, see the glory of God. Let's pray. Father God, by your grace, you have freed us from a self-centered life wrapped in our own story and you have written us into your story of redemption and of cosmic renewal. It's not about our, us, it's about you. We are not holy in ourselves but are perfectly holy in Christ. We are no longer our own but we are your possession. And for the rest of our lives and throughout eternity we have been given the privilege of declaring the nature of your grace and the wonders of your love thank you for showing us that the gospel isn't about what we do for you but what you've done for us in jesus and what you're doing through us for your glory we echo the words of peter saying once again praise be to the god and father of our lord jesus christ for in his great mercy you have given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead." And you have given us an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Amen. I invite you to stand with me. As we move out of the book of 1 Peter uh, and into the next two months, we're working on a series, and Pastor Jerry is preparing, on a series that addresses some of the most asked questions of faith. We've been able to throw it out on Instagram, and just a flood of responses coming in. Questions about what it means to follow Jesus. Questions about what it means to be a Christian in this age. Questions about theology and science and faith and all of that. And I am really excited for what the next two months hold. But we end today with a blessing. The same way, or the same blessing with which we began First Peter. In times of old, one giving a blessing would extend hands. And those receiving it would do likewise. If you would like a blessing as you go. Would you extend hands? Soul Sanctuary, may the God who brings salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ, poured out on the cross for the forgiveness of your sin, reign in your hearts. May the God who defeated the powers of sin and darkness through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead raise you to new life, not for yourself, but for his glory. And may the God of the gospel, through which we are made holy and sanctified by His Spirit. Equip us with every good thing for doing His will, and may He work in us what is pleasing to Him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. Soul Sanctuary, be blessed. Go in peace, and we'll see you next week.